get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with Karen Kingsbury and you guys know her novels we've interviewed before they're so amazing I've got every single one that you've written in my collection and I just want to put a shout out to you because when I asked for copies from authors to be sent to give to our military families to put in military reading rooms you were right there Johnny on the spot with copies signed copies that we could give away to these different groups so not only is she a wonderful writer and a best-selling author, but she has a giant heart. And I'm so thrilled that The Baxters is becoming its own TV series. And what we're going to talk about today is your brand new novel because you wrote all these Baxter books and now you're writing the prequel after the fact. Like Star Wars had six or seven versions, but they only decided to make the movies in in they were already written how did you go back and put a prequel together was that just a huge challenge well you know I feel like Sandra I have been writing about these people for so long that if you and I ran into each other at the store and you would say hey how are the Baxters doing as if they were real right yep I could answer you like I literally I can see them and know them. So this part of their story was just like when I started before it was redemption was book one. Right now the Baxter's prequel will be the new, you know, the new book one for the Baxter's. It's like I I already saw this piece even when I first began writing about the Baxter's, but I just didn't start there. I started with her marriage falling apart three years later. Um, This one is on her wedding day and there's storms forecast and tornadoes. There's a a baby that has to be rescued toward the end of the story. I guess really there's a lot of drama going on that kind of sets the stage for what's coming in the, in the books ahead and in the TV show ahead. Wow. So that, I mean, when was redemption? I was just going to look it up. What year was redemption written? I feel like that released in 2001. It, the initial first print run, I feel like was in 2001. I know it was right around 9-11 that we were going to go to press. And I think maybe it was 2002 because we we held it because um, the Baxters wouldn't have not talked about 9-11. So you're always writing, you know, current fiction, contemporary fiction is written in the future. Right. So, you know, I'm writing. Yeah, you're some- right. It was August 2002. Okay. Because I feel like I've been involved with this family for 20 years that's what what i was thinking when i'm putting this together going oh my gosh like 20 years have passed 20 years has passed yeah it's amazing i mean and even still when i write a novel like of my last 10 novels that have been standalones a lot of them have the baxters as background characters secondary right, they would pop up in and out I'm like oh there they are like you know hi I felt like, you know, the new people aren't going to know any different, but the people who've loved them along the way will love to know how they're doing today. So, you know, then I'm also, I have those four books on the Baxter family children, which I wrote with my son, Tyler, and those had the kids when they're like ages six to 12. So I, it's like, this book was kind of right in the middle. Like what happens after they get done with the fun, silly, happy, you know, the worst problem is you fall off the pier while you're fishing the children's books to where we are today with, you know, Carrie getting married and the love of her life is, is Ryan. I mean, he's, he's been there in the background all this time and is just devastated that she's getting married. So he stops by the house on her wedding day. Mm. You have a wild scene. It's raining. So I I picture the Baxter's prequel. This book is going to be a movie at some point. 
to be able to help establish those characters who are going to be in the TV show and to give readers like, you know, and viewers an entrance into this family. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool that you're like, you, you love them so much and they're so real. Um, when you were writing it, did you worry that you might get facts wrong that were in future books? Like, was there a lot of fact checking and things that were mentioned? You know, it was funny. I'm as silly as it sounds. I'm watching NCIS all over again. Cause it was, piecemeal like i had babies and i didn't watch things so i thought well not that this is a, a lofty goal but i'm like i'm gonna watch every single episode and like in season four they said gibbs has been married four times gibbs has been married three times and throughout the whole thing because i'm one of those people that's like if you tell me a fact to remember about someone i will commit it to memory if you have blue eyes if you were married four times if you had a dog named chuck you better have that dog named chuck 10 books from now he cannot be charles and did you find like any of that coming up going well i'm going back in time what did i say or was it just easy peasy lemon squeezy no, it was a lot of that, a lot of research of, you know, a lot of, because this is all taking place on Carrie Baxter's wedding to Tim right. and some of it is flashbacks. So there was, there was still some, there's quite a bit of material that the people, you know, readers just don't know yet. That's why it's a great new book one. Um, one of those things is the car accident that Ashley had, you know, right. when she was taking a friend of Luke's home and they get hit by a truck who crosses the line and how that really sent her into a spiral away from God and, you know, sent her to Paris. She was just right. trying to do her own thing. So there's a lot of that I haven't written about. That was easy. I mean, it was easy because I could see it and it was just like, I not- was mentioned in forgetting Paris. Like it was, it was. You know, forgiving Paris is where I really oh, sorry, forgiving, sorry. Time. forgiving Paris is where I had to spend a lot of time because I had did mention it in that book. And so I had to make sure those facts for sure matched up for that backstory piece. And then, you know, just little things about I had to look a lot at redemption. And when she's re- thinking of her marriage, it's now feeling like it's falling apart because he's having an affair. Like, what did it feel like on her wedding day? Or, you know, just I had to make sure that lined up. So you're right. That's if I'm going to make it believable and people will want to actually watch this TV show because they know these people, then the facts have to line up. Now, Karen, I'm just going to jump in right now because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. And as we visit with New York Times bestselling author Karen Kingsbury, and we're so excited because her Baxter family saga is being made into television and film as we speak. So not only did the prequel come out recently, but we are going to be seeing this on uh, television and in the movie theater. So I'm so excited for that. But we are thanking our sponsor today. And our sponsor today is Best Fiends. And Best Fiends is this digital mobile puzzle game. And it's free to download. It has thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I know this because I am at over level 350. I love this game. It's been in my pocket for over three years, way before they became sponsors on our show. And one of the things, you know, Karen Kingsbury and I were talking about is juggling family responsibility, juggling everything that needs to be juggled and be a best-selling author. She has six kids, so she knows the pressure of putting off fun until you feel you deserve it, meaning your own fun. You know, it is fun to volunteer. It's fun to take care of our kids. But what do we do just for us? And what I do just for me, that brings me joy. It sets me in a good mood and I can go about my day and I can play it anywhere. It's always in my pocket because it's on my phone and my phone is always in my pocket. And I can whip out my phone and and collect dozens of unique friends. I can customize my team of friends to defeat menacing slugs. I can beat up slugs when I'm when I'm you know not having a good mom moment. And with offline play, I'm never stranded, and I'm allowed to play these things because I'm a grown up and I'm allowed to have fun. And I'm saying that you know sillily because a lot of times we forget to have fun, and especially if we're stuck somewhere, we've lost our internet connection. This happens to me all the time at the soccer field. I'm sitting there, coach is blabbing on with my kids. I cannot leave the parking lot. I really don't feel like getting out and talking to the other moms. So I just pull out my phone. And because I don't have internet out there, I don't have a good signal. I can't answer emails, do the things I normally do. Well, guess what I can do? I can play Best Fiends. And with offline play, I am never stranded without fun, even when I lose my internet connection. So there's brand new events and characters. They pop up all year round. Got to check out today. Today we have this little fire bug. He's he's Best Fiends. 
Josephine's Vega. And he's a little firebug and he's got his fireman hat on. He's got his fire hose. He's got his cute little fire jacket. So you guys should check this out. It is so cute. It's so much fun. The music is great. It does not annoy me, which is huge. And I really encourage you guys because you've been, you've earned your fun time. We've earned your fun time. I've earned my fun time. So go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. That's Friends Without the Art, Best Fiends, Friends Without the Art. You will be so glad you did. Now we're talking today to Karen Kingsbury and she's authored over 70 novels. She's a New York Times bestselling author and her current book, The Baxter Series, is being made into television and film. And that's so exciting. And you know, she wrote all these books over a 20 year span of time and then she came out this year with the prequel. And we were talking about the history that she had to go and dig up from her own books to make sure that she was correctly, you know, representing 20 years of the same family saga. So that was a, that was like probably the greatest part of the research for this book was making sure I was accurate. Yeah. Because I mean, like, like you said, when you start talking, I'm like, I'm, I'm immediately in the Paris book and I'm like, well, but wait a minute, the accident was in there. This was, you know, because we trust you as a reader, we trust you, you know, we give you our money and more importantly, we give you our time. Mm. And every book, a good book like your books, change us. You know, yeah. we learn something like I know the trend now for the last, I don't know, five, 10 years has been to put like, you know, those book club discussion questions in the back. And yeah. I'm not really wild about those personally, but I will sit there and go, okay, what is she trying to teach me in this this book like what what's the lesson here because we're going to be spending you know five six seven eight hours together yeah right you and me i'm in your head you're talking to me right. and you impact the way i see things i did have a marriage that ended because of an affair you know with my my good friend is now his wife and you know mm -hmm. there's all these complicated things in here so when i look at your books i always walk away with something about forgiveness, about grace, about yeah. kindness to self. I think it's easy for us to extend kindness to others. Yes. Yeah, I was, you know, we just had a great sermon on Sunday and our pastor was just saying how Christianity is the only religion where we don't have to do something or earn our way, but that Jesus, you know, came to us. And when he did that, he came to like lower the proud but to really raise up those ones who struggle to have kindness toward themselves and just can't forgive themselves. Yeah. A lot of ways that was Ashley. Uh, certainly as Carrie takes this venture, she's so sure that Ryan had made these mistakes in the past that he had moved on. He hadn't, that was a big misunderstanding, but it's completely still misunderstood on her wedding day. And so he's marrying, she's marrying Tim, believing that Tim is, you know, the altruistic good guy and that okay. nothing will ever go wrong with, with Tim. It'll be perfect. And we know, you know, if you've read Redemption, then that it's not going to head that way. But there's just a lot. There's a lot of conflict. You have Brooke, who's really walked away from faith. Uh, the oldest sister, Ashley, who has, it just feels like there's no hope or redemption for her as a single mom with a one-year-old. And you have this, you know, characters like Landon Blake, who loves Ashley still, and he gets invited to the wedding. Um, so the moment when he asks Ashley to dance and all that they've lost before and all that could be is there again, like it's possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that the message in the Baxter's prequel is very much one of, of forgiveness and second chances. Mm -hmm. And also I think for, like, I really, really, I really resonate at this point in my life with six adult kids with Elizabeth and John, the parents who commit to the long game with their kids, that just because things might feel not okay right now, or they made a bad decision, or they're living out consequences, or they're struggling with their faith, keep praying and believing and keep loving them most of all, right? Because that's the, that's the door, that's the bridge that will allow them when they're older to find their way back. And we get to walk through that with the Baxters in the books ahead. But this is a beginning that shows, you know, just how, how broken things really were uh, before the books began. Mm -hmm. Well, and how broken our lives can be. Right. And if we just keep going, we just keep believing and we just keep loving how we can overcome these things. And I think that's the neat thing about going through this span of time, because you're not just spanning this family in like one huge 500 page novel. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, you wrote, you wrote, you, you took a break. Oh, somebody popped up here. Oh, here's another one popping up here. And then you come back full circle to this prequel. So then what's next? Like, yeah, with the Baxters, I think that, you know, I really, I'm so excited about the TV show and, you know, it, it was Roma Downey was the executive producer. She is uh, three seasons in the can that were ready to film. Well, so MGM paid for it. They were the ones that fronted the money and believed in it. And now Amazon owns MGM. So of now, <laughs> I, of course they do. They purchased MGM for some 9 billion or something. You know, it was, it was a, a huge amount. And that just closed a month ago. I don't even think Amazon knows they have it. That's oh. kind of where it's at. Like they bought this treasure chest of products and films. Mm -hmm. And now they're meeting with the department heads and they'll be meeting with Roma and they'll find out about the Baxters. And I think it'd be fun for all of the readers to be like, Amazon, we can't wait to see when are the Baxters going to be on? Like, I'd love it if they were like, what's this Baxters thing that we have? Apparently well, we have sold enough books. I mean, people right. like, you know, and they're on Amazon, like all you have yeah. to do, like exactly put your name on. So it's like, it kind of is like, it's not like you're trying to pop over to like some third world streaming service, like your, no. your Amazon. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's exciting. Like, I think everyone has that pretty much, you know, so that's a good place for it to be. And when they realize that they have it, I mean, I think that's what's next. I also feel like the kids' books, the children's books would make a great television series as well. I mean, we're, I'm not writing that right now. We have a lot. We have um, A Thousand Tomorrows, which, you know, is, um, has the cystic fibrosis storyline and then the bull rider with the Down syndrome brother. Yep. And it's a love story and it's a, it's a heartbreakingly beautiful love story, but that is going to be a TV show by Sony Affirm, it'll it'll appear on PureFlix at the end of the year. They're starting filming um, next month. And Tyler, my son Tyler and I have written all the scripts. So we are like professional screenwriters now. Oh, okay, it's slow down here. So how, <laughs> okay. So let's talk your career because you've got everything from like, you know, let me hold you longer to, you know, truly madly deeply. Then you go back to redemption, pieces of forever. I mean, you've got you've got a, a huge bookcase of your own books, yeah. right? That's what's fun. Yeah. So, so much product and I want to see it on the screen. So did that when you, okay, so let's backtrack because I don't know how much people know about you personally. When you were a little girl, did you grow up dreaming to be an author? I sure did. I was five. Sandra, when I wrote my first book called The Horse, and even that word was spelled wrong. Everything was spelled wrong. <laughs> and all the words slanted down the page, but my mom saved it. It was stapled together, and I was so proud of it. And I just had the bug. I wanted to write books. And I felt that way, you know, all through schooling. But my mom saved that. And at my college graduation, she brought that little old book out and gave it to me. It was the sweetest gift. So yeah, I wrote, you know, for the, I wrote in journalism, uh, did journalism in college and wrote for the Los Angeles times and the LA daily news after college started off in sports, which was purely because I was a woman and I'm not a big fan of that reason, but I took it and made the most of it, learned my way through the sports, you know, not only jargon, but I mean, the stats and all the rest and how to keep, how to keep score, how to be at a game and do a game story and find the feature story. So I did that for a few years and then I did the front page and just kind of, you know, the feature stories on the sadder stories, murders and fires and whatnot that you had in LA. <clears throat> and then uh, my heart the whole time was all, that was always plan B. My heart was always to write books. And I wrote my first, my first four books were true crime books, but then in 1996 ish, I, I just took a two week, I took two weeks, had a friend come over and help me watch the kids. And how many kids? Because you you had yeah, so we had when I first started writing books. I mean, we have six. So our oldest is a daughter, and now she's been married ten years and has three little grandboys and one on the way. So that's so exciting. Uh, and then five boys. Three we adopted from Haiti in the year two thousand. But the dream was always to write books and be a stay-at-home mom. That's what I wanted to do, and that's ever since Kelsey was born. That's when I got my first book deal. Four days before maternity leave was up. And this beautiful, miraculous answer to prayer that an agent called and said, hey, that simple proposal you wrote, I got it into a bidding war. And the amount we got for the first, like just for signing the contract was my year's salary plus like $12. So wow. we went and, you know, we went to Denny's and like celebrated <laughs> the $12. 
But uh, my husband was a teacher and a basketball coach through all these years. And so I was a stay-at-home mom writing books. And my kids thought it was just like a hobby on the side, you know, just I was always at their games and practices and dance recitals and whatever. And, uh, and just got to write some books on the side. That's always how they saw it, which is a huge blessing. And so, yeah, I mean, my first novel, like actually like what I'm doing now, like life-changing fiction came out in 1997. And then I began writing about the Baxters, like, you know, early 2000s. That's so, I love that because I think there's so many women and maybe men listening today that, that dream about this and go, well, I have to wait till my kids are grown or, oh, I, I don't have this or I don't have that. And you had a full plate, huge full plate. So what did it look like? What did writing look like for you? You know, most of us get up in the morning, we go to a job, we come home. Or if you're like me, you know, the kids say you just go in your office and you make stuff up and then you come out and make dinner. <laughs> like, You know, yeah. what did it look like for you? You know, I kind of made a decision early on that I would have the kids, my husband, that they would come first, you know, with God first. God, I felt like God led me to think that. And so he gave me the ability to write quickly. I can write a first draft in a, of a novel. My, first, my fastest was three days. That was my military book. Even now I wrote that in three days. It was just crying through the whole thing. It was just my, one of my favorite books. But usually if I allow two weeks, I can get that first draft. And, you know, there's other aspects, but at least that's like where... I really have to be kind of focused into my little writing space, which is usually at home. Sometimes I'll go to an Airbnb or a couple of times I went to the beach just so I could really focus on the story. But usually I'd be home and I would write while they were at school. And then as soon as the first one knocked on the door with dandelions in their hand or a basketball under their arm, I was done. Okay. So just, so it's about carving out that space, like holding space for that. And right. Sometimes it's after the kids go to bed and maybe all you can do is 10 pages or five pages or one. But if you just write a little bit each day, the days go by anyway, and you may be that next best-selling author. Oh, see, that's so beautiful. Like, that's so beautiful. I love that. I love that. So let's talk about how is it different writing for television or for film from writing a novel? Because I would imagine it's like writing, you know, a magazine article versus two inches or 10 inches, you know, on a newspaper, like, you don't get to have all that word backstory explanation, you just have some straight dialogue to convey an awful lot. You do. I mean, you have, you get to write, there's a little bit of action you get to include. It's so much smaller. I mean, it feels like a glorified book outline sometimes to me, but it, you definitely have to, it's an adjustment. Uh, you know, screenwriting is a very technical sort of a, you know, gift that you have to, you have to lean into the technical side or they won't respect you. And that took us a little bit of time to figure that out. Um, but I feel like we're really there that you have to, you have to, you kind of have to stay with the main characters too, even though there may be a subplot, you don't really leave the main characters and go talk about the subplot for three pages. That's too much. You have to, you know, let's tell their story while they're in the same world as the two main characters or three main characters. So those were some little adjustments to learn. And I feel like now that we have our first, you know, Tyler and I, Tyler, my son, Tyler's 29. He's a very talented writer. So he does, we, we come together for the beats and like the outline of the, of the script. And usually, you know, if it's a, if it's a movie, it's 90 to hundred pages. If it's a, you know, one hour episode of a thousand tomorrows, it's 60 pages. So we, we kind of plan what that looks like. And then he writes the first draft and then we come back together and we have a table read and we read it and we make changes as we go. And that could take all day. Oh, Karen, I love that. You know, it's such a different mindset, taking your best-selling books and turning them into screenplays and, and television plays. That's so exciting. And it's such a different mindset and to be able to work with your son. And, you know, mindset, I just want to take a minute and talk about that for a minute because mindset is a big deal with me. And it's one of the reasons why I have chosen Noom Weight 
as part of my goal setting and weight loss partner. Now, I want you guys to start building better habits for healthier long-term results by going to noom.com slash motherhood talk. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash motherhood talk. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Noom gives me this support base. It gives me a knowledge base. And it helps me make good choices for me even when it's difficult. For those of you who listen to my show regularly, you know I take care of my 88-year-old dad who recently had a stroke. I've been a single mom, soul supporting for 15 years, and my boys are handful. When I learn the psychology behind my habits and understand my relationship with food, I have this great tool set that gives me the wisdom I need to continue to making long-term positive choices for myself. And you know, there's some things that have changed with me big time since I have used Noom Weight and how I deal with specific triggers and especially decision fatigue. You guys, I have to make a million decisions every day, running my company, taking care of my kids, taking care of my dad. So by the time I get to the end of the day or the end of a work session, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, and I do not want to think. I don't want to think about what I have to eat. I don't want to think about anything. And I'm super stressed out. And Noom has this great psychological approach that's so different from every other program that you might have used. I really love and I've come to depend on their daily lessons and their coaching because that is what I need. I need somebody to help me make those decisions when I'm too tired, too frustrated, too hungry, or just too worn out to make them myself. That's why I want you guys to check it out because battles are won and lost in the mind. And what happens to me is when I get busy and frazzled and things fall apart, I don't make good choices. And Noom helped me recognize my specific triggers. It helped me recognize my decision fatigue. It helped me not lose those battles in the mind because, you know, we don't eat right or go to the gym because we're somehow super women. We make good decisions in our brain. And those battles, we have of going to the gym or eating right are won and lost first and foremost in the brain. And then our bodies follow. Then we go to the gym because we made that decision or we eat something different or make a different choice because we made that decision first. And that's why I think Noom Weight's cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be more mindful of your habits and gives you this knowledge you need to continue to build your long-term positive habits so that you can live the life you want in the body you want, do the things you want. And this is not a big time suck, you guys. There's no need to worry about fitting Noom into your schedule. All you have to do is spend 5, 10, or maybe 15 minutes a day sometimes. And, and how much time you want to spend is entirely up to you, but you're armed with this knowledge that helps you live the life you want, get you in that body you want, get to feel the way you want to do the things you want to do. So start by building better habits today for healthier long-term results. I want you to go sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash motherhood talk. That's Noom spelled N-O-O-M dot com slash motherhood talk. Noom.com slash motherhood talk. You will be so glad you did. Check them out so you can get your one-on-one coaching and you'll always have guidance and support on your journey. And I wish you luck. Start building those better habits today at Noom.com slash motherhood talk. Now today we're talking to best-selling author Karen Kingsbury. She has written over 30 novels, many of them bestsellers. She is currently writing movie and television scripts now based on on her Baxter family. And that's a big mind shift. And we talked a lot about the power of the mind and dictating what we can and we cannot do. And when Karen is writing with her son, which is so exciting. I mean, I can't imagine how much fun that is. So fun. Like, I can't tell you, I am just having the best time. And I want to see, like, literally, I'm just, I took the reason why my next novel is not out till next spring is because I really wanted to work on film the rest of this year. I want to I want to write scripts and I really would like to actually make my own movie. And that's where I'm really about to take the leap on that, um, even in this like week or two. So I love that because here's the thing, you get to grow, you get to try. And even if, let's say the worst case scenario is it's a flop, that's the most beautiful thing because guess what? You wake up the next day and you start all over again or you pick up where you left off and you know, I, I interview so many people and I remember something that that Don Shula told me many, many years ago. I was very, very young and he said the only difference between you and somebody who's successful is the successful person keeps going. 
That's right. So like at what point is a like and this is a question that I have just for our listeners. At what point is something a failure in creativity? Because I don't think it ever is. No, it isn't. And you know, you can at this point, I, I feel like God's taught me a lot about having the end in mind when you begin. So what is that marketing angle? Who are, who's going to want to come and see it? And to make sure that I'm being wise, I have 70 novels I could choose from. So if I'm going to make one into a movie, pick wisely. And maybe it's the Baxter's prequel because it would lead into the TV show. And, and whether it came out a little after or a little bit before wouldn't even matter. People would want to know about it. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, being, we're really, we're really prayerful right now and asking God for wisdom to show, but if it is a flop, like you said, I mean, even if, then I know we did the right thing by, by trying and you know, you, you get nowhere if you don't try. Right. Well, and you know, when I think of Dr. Andrew Whitman, he's a, a guy that I have on my radio shows a lot. He's a, um, he's a, a military guy who's also a preacher, you know, it's kind of cool, mm-hmm. the combination and he yeah. was Benjamin Netanyahu's and, and Hillary Clinton's private security detail. I mean, really interesting guy, you know, and he says things like, look, you either succeed or you learn. So if you don't succeed in writing a bestseller, selling a novel, creating a movie, you've learned something so that your next attempt is closer to the target you're shooting at. So you either succeed or you learn like, so there's no downside. Right. Well, I love that. That, that feels like actually more affirmation that what we're doing, that we're, you know, I feel like other people can do it so I can do it. You know, if other people can make a movie, then I can gather those same talented types of people around me and like-minded people that we can tell a beautiful story and then we can see where we want to have it go. Right. And I love that you're, there's a message to your books. You know, there's something that you can walk away. You called it what life affirming fiction or what did you call it? Life-changing fiction. Life-changing fiction. I'm going to write that down because I've, I've many years I've, I've referred your books And I didn't have the right terminology of how to describe because you walk away and it is life affirming. It is life changing and it is fiction, but you walk away feeling like you've been to a self-help group too. (laughs) Well, thank you. Cause it comes in through the back door of the heart. That's the thing with story. You know, a lot of times people you're, you're one of the rare ones who really, you get it that you had me on and we aren't talking plot points. You know, I don't, that's not the point. The point isn't what happens in chapter five. The point is that a novel will catch you off guard and come in through the back door of your heart. And it's healing. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of times we're not ready to pick up a self-help book or even the Bible, but we are ready for a story. And there we are. And next thing you know, tears are just streaming down our face. And we're going, what is this book doing? What is it telling me? And my dad would always say, the world builds ice up around your heart, but when you get a chance to cry, that's the ice melting, Aww. keeping our hearts tender. Isn't that sweet? That is beautiful. So you need a box of tissues with my books, but it doesn't leave you sad. It leaves you hopeful. No, absolutely. I mean, sad things do happen. And yes, you do need a box of tissues and you might have a couple ugly cries while you're reading them, <laughs> but it's also, you take us on this journey and there's a release I find at the end of your books, like, I feel like, oh, okay, I can let something go. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm letting go, but I know there was a letting go process. Yeah, I really, I agree completely. Thank you. That means so much because it's, it's always like, it comes to me like a movie in my heart, which is why I'm so excited to put an actual movie together because I see it so visually. So now I get a chance to be able to to, to turn that around and put it up on a screen for other people. But it is, you know, it's just a, it's a gift. God gives me the story and I give it to you. Well, I love that. It's like a co-creation with spirit. You know, you co-create yes. with, you know, the great writer and what is the Bible, but a whole bunch of stories, you right. know, hello, right. like we That's shouldn't be shocked. That's, you know, we learn from stories, but on a human level, on a personal level, like when you are stretching, cause this is stretching for you. You have yeah. had a bunch of books, like, you know, the format, you know how to create a book. You could create books in perpetuity at this point, I'm sure after what, 70 mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, you got that down, but you don't have a movie down and you don't have a television down. And this is what's interesting to me for you as a person, as we talk about growth and changes. And I think of alchemy, you know, turning, turning things into gold. You're taking a risk by opening your heart, opening your skill set, opening everything to new genre. 
Yeah. You didn't go to school 25 years ago or 30 years ago for screenwriting. You know, you haven't, you and Sid Field are not buds, you know, like <laughs> you're willing to roll the dice, try something new, grow and expand. And I would imagine if you're like the rest of us, that can be nerve wracking. It really can. And I've been, again, you know, it's so funny when you're younger, you think, well, you know, the bestsellers list and the success and this thing is like kind of what the goal is. And God changed that in my heart a long time ago, that it's, it's about the one-on-one and the people that I meet and the way that he's going to use. I don't even, I don't check bestsellers list. It's just not, I don't want it to be about that, but I keep on praying now back when you're younger, it's like wisdom doesn't seem like like, oh, wisdom. That's nice, but not that important. It's everything. And so as I go into this you know, next season, I'm just praying for wisdom. I feel like I'm walking toward the Red Sea. I don't necessarily see a path through it, but as long as he'll just clear it one step at a time, I'm willing to walk. I'm willing to not go down through the rest of my life, just easy, just like gliding through and taking vacations and writing books. Like I really, really want this to be a season when I am stretched and I do grow and do something that is hard, but that will make a bigger difference than even the books. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, you're not, you know, I think it's much easier to go. I really want to hit the top of the bestseller list versus I really want to change the world. Yeah, no, you're right. And there's only so much I can do. One of the things with the book release, like um, with the Baxter's prequel, I no longer say I'm releasing it to the world. It's like, I'm releasing it to the Lord. Like, what is he going to do with it? You know? Well, and I love that because right now I'm teaching a course uh, for women uh, using Judith Judith Cameron's The Artist's Way, mm. you know, to help a lot of women in midlife, you know, because I did, I'm on Sandra 5.0, you know, I've had like five iterations. This is my fifth iteration of me, but they're all the same. They all have to do with bringing people together and fellowship and sharing information and, you know, growth and hope, you know, the through line through my life is the same, how I've executed it is very different. And one of the things that Julia Cameron said, and I have her newest book out, which I'm teaching in a couple of months, it's never too late to begin again, discovering creativity and meaning in midlife and beyond. Um, She said in there, like, using our creativity is the way that we can thank God for our gifts. Mm. And I just, that's been, I've been chewing on that. You know, and it's funny, I've taught this, the other Julia Cameron's course, I've taught it probably five or six times now to groups of women, to students, whatever. And to think of your creativity, like it really hit me while you were talking. God gave you these talents, right? Yes. You could have choose. You could have said, I've got six kids. I don't have time to write. I have grandbabies. I've got all these things. I don't have whatever money, time skill, all of the excuses that people use for creativity. But to then what I'm hearing you say is you are honoring God through your creativity. And the way you say thank you is to use the gifts he gave you. That's exactly right, Sandra. And, you know, think about the the parable that Jesus told about the talents, literally calling them talents. And I know that was a form of money back in the day, but it's still, it's a gift that God's given us. And, you know, the talents um, to not bury them you know, and not to make an excuse, like you said, that there's, you know, I don't, I have the story in my heart, but I don't think it would ever work. Well, you know, if you, if you, if everyone thought that way, there would be no books right out there. Yeah. I mean, your odds of being, you know, a number one New York Times bestselling author may be low, but who cares that that will take care of itself. You just do the thing God's calling you to do. You take up the art that way. My sister is teaching art classes. Like that was nothing. I mean, she didn't see that coming and she's got a master's in education, but here she is teaching those, you know, where you get to all sit in a room. We, we got to do this at my retreat that I had here in uh, Franklin, Tennessee last week called Belong. Everyone got a canvas. We all got paint brushes and paint. We painted a cherry blossom tree in a field oh. and they're just, everyone loved it. They were having so much fun. Like maybe you should paint, you know, maybe it's a book, but definitely, uh, you know, creativity, connects us to God because he's the giver of talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I, when I first started doing my podcast, so 16 years ago, 15 years ago now, and, you know, I look at where I am today, I didn't have any 
any great vision. You know, I didn't have any great massive thing. I never thought in a million years I'd be able to support myself and my kids and my dad, you know, in Los Angeles, you know, Mm -hmm. on what I'm doing. I mean, that to me is a miracle in itself, but there was always a knowing, there was always a trusting. Like I'm a big one that says, when I don't know what I'm doing, I say, okay, God, when I get up in the morning, you're going to direct my steps. I'm going to follow where you lead. And, and I, you know, am I perfect at it? No, but am I nine out of 10? Yeah, pretty much nine out of 10. When I get up in the morning, where are you directing me? Where are you directing me to go? Um, and it all turns out. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful because that's now you're saying, I'm not going to just see, I think with, especially as women, we tend to look at just like, you know, whether depending on our age of our kids or our life diapers and dreary, you know, dishes and decision-making. And it's just like, we can just sort of like coast through our week, you know, dragging our feet. And then we get to the weekend, we're like, finally a day, but that's not at all how God wanted us to live. He wants us to wake up in the morning, like you said, and live our life on mission. Like this day only comes once. And who am I going to meet where all of my life and all of their life intersect in this single moment? And what will that situation look like? How will, what opportunity, like be looking for the miraculous, like be an investigator and, and detective of what God's doing. If you go into your day that way, amazing things will happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a thing as an interviewer that I look for the gift. Every show I do, every interview I do, there's always a gift to me. You know, I don't worry about what, you know, what, what are people going to say? What are the reviews going to say? What are, you know, the listeners going to say? I just go, okay, what is the gift to me? And there's always a message if you listen for it in every interview that either is you're good enough, you know, keep trying, you know, direct your steps, you're on the right path, God loves you, you know, creativity is good, you know, all these things that kind of our society pushes way down. Yes, because creativity at your level is, oh, wow, she's Karen Kingsbury. She has 70 novels. She's somebody. So creativity is good. But when you look at young writers, you look at, you know, oh, you can't be an artist, a dancer, a writer, a producer, a director, because I live in Los Angeles. You know, there's a dime a dozen, you know, of all creatives around me. They all carry that same heavy weight of you're not valid until you get a big paycheck. You're not valid until you have a publishing contract or a directorial contract or your st- your script options have been picked up. Like now you're somehow valuable. Now you're somehow, and it's so ridiculous and artificial. And I think about, like I used to work for Disney and CBS and I think about you know projects that I worked on and I'm like, wow, okay. I have lots of value when I'm going to my desk at Disney and CBS. Then when I was in my home office doing my own thing, I'm like, no value because I just finished like vacuuming and then walked in. Like, how do you go from vacuuming to value? And you did that. Like you, you overcame that vacuuming to value step of going, what if? What if I just went in when my kids go to school? What if I gave myself, I held the space for what, two, three hours maybe? Because you still had to cook. You still had to clean. You still had to drive kids. You still had to show up for soccer and baseball and band, you know, everything that your kids did. How did you give yourself, how did you allow yourself to hold that space? Because that was a very sacred holding of space so you could create. And guess what? There was no money attached to that first writing, there wasn't anything. No. In fact, you know, after I did the four true crime books, when I went to writing fiction, the agent that I had at that time, he dropped me. He said, you know, you were going to be a star. Like, why would you want to write these books with a faith message? Like you should just, this is not good for you. And I remember thinking, this is what God is calling me to do. I enjoy it. I, if I'm the only reader, I enjoy it. And I think that was, you know, is when I stopped looking at bestsellers list and worrying about, look, why can't they print more than 15,000? And maybe we would sell more than 15,000. You know, those numbers and all that can just actually, it just takes away your ability to create. Right. And so I had to do it because I loved it. I felt the pleasure of the Lord in it. And I loved it. I felt like the first reader. I'm laughing, crying, you know, as I'm making it up. But I'm not, I don't ever feel like I'm making it up. So, For the person who's drawn to paint or to sing or to write a song or to write a script or to write a book, you have to enjoy it so much 
that if you are the only one who appreciates this art, that between you and God, the creator who gave you the gift, it's enough. And then it's beautiful. Love that. I love that permission to hold space for something that you just love. Yeah. Because I think that's counterintuitive to everything in the publishing industry, whether it's book publishing, music publishing, everything is economics, like how much money, how many, like even the, the bestseller list, like I have, you have to be the best, like, where is it written? Like, can you imagine if we raised our kids that said, you can't ever kick a soccer ball unless you score a goal, or you can't ever, you know, swing a bat, you know, without hitting a home run because that's what you're talking about like that bestseller thing like for you to sit down and write something whether you're one book in seven books in or 70 books in if your intention is to be on a bestseller list or to hit a home run or to have this outcome this controlled outcome how can you let someone else direct your steps how can you have a relationship with god that says okay what what do you want me to do today right you know, there's a song, I think it's a Luke Combs song out right now that, uh, or he talks about how he wasn't, you know, you talk about sports, he wasn't the, the number one guy, he wasn't on the starting team, but boy, he remembers that one hit. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's like the pleasure of God. You get to have this moment where you feel called to do something that is just bigger than you. And, and even if no one else, you know, it's still what you're supposed to do. And then let God do the rest. And, and that's, you know, that's peace. You don't have to do it. And it's brave. Yeah, it is brave. It is brave. And I think that's where most artists have to be some of the bravest people because they have to step out into this opening that isn't a law degree, that isn't a medical degree, that isn't not to take away from any of those disciplines that are really difficult. You have to work hard for them. But there is a certain level when I look at I come from a family of nurses and engineers and pilots, there's a certain level of predictability, there's a yeah. certain level of certainty. If you pass your pilot's license, you will fly. If you pass your nurse's license, you will go work in a hospital. I will not fly a plane or work in a hospital. And for me to take this creative leap and leave, you know, Disney and CBS as executive level and yeah. go, okay, I'm just going to start what a podcast 16 years ago. People are like, what are you going to sit in your parents' basement in your underpants, like programming on the computer? And I'm like, well, maybe. <laughs> whatever it takes, right? Right, whatever it takes. Like that's, I'm okay with that. Um, but I think, you know, with a lot, especially these days with, with the economy, with the level of uncertainty we live with, I think it's very hard for young artists today to take a leap. And that's why I hold you up in such high esteem going, okay, here's a lady with 70 books. She could crank out another 70 more and still do the world a service, still make her agent and publishers happy, but you're <laughs> choosing to step out into a, not a complete unknown, but definitely something not known. Yeah, it really is. And, and just even hearing you, you say there's always something, a gift to take away. And you're giving me that right now because you're affirming that brave is good. You know, that, I mean, my life could be very easy right now. And I just, well, for what, like you get one life, I get one chance to do this. And what better time than now, you know, make the movie, make it in Tennessee near my home, employ some new people who are looking for a break to get into filmmaking and really have a chance to, to do something extraordinary. So yeah, it's, I, it's moments like this that give me the affirmation to know that as I see this book released and that's, you know, today, tomorrow, and this next coming days, then the next thing on the plate is let's make a movie. Right. Right. Let's keep growing. Let's keep expanding. And you know what? If you fumble, stumble and fall, you can always get up tomorrow and you can always call me and I will pick you up and dust you off and say, OK, you know, you you learn some things, right? You either learn okay. or you succeed. Yeah, I love that. And I will take that from this for sure. You have my email address. We'll have to make sure we have that so that I can reach out to you when it comes time to, hey, I just need <laughs> prayer today so right because we all do I don't yeah, we, care how you know I don't care how successful people are you know when I worked at Disney and CBS I met A-listers all the time you know from people that you know I'm not going to break their confidence but and I remember two of them one was a world-class musician and I mean 
as top as can be. And I asked him one time, like, do you ever get nervous? And he looked at me and he said, of course I do. I'm human. Yeah. That was Elton John. So to be able to ask him, do you ever get nervous? And he just looked at me and he's like, like, of course I do. Yeah. You know, because I do think we hold people up like there's Karen Kingsbury. There's Karen I'm talking to right now. And then there's Karen Kingsbury. She's on the on the list. She's on the cover. She's on this. But at the end of the day, you know what? Yes, you can get nervous. Yeah. Thank you. That's really good. I mean, it's good freedom. Yeah. To just and my family surely knows that about me. I mean, I burn pretty much everything I cook and all downstairs. I mean, I have all that. I have, I have, I keep them, you know, always laughing. I've always got another story, but, um, but yeah, the, that's, it's that, it's that one. I mean, I, as I hit the pillow, I just go this, I know it's going to be, I know it's going to be wild ride. I know it's going to be a little scary, but this is the direction and, and be, I will never regret trying. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we do wear different hats and you have Karen that walks down and trips over the stairs, but you also have Karen that's like a, you know, big shot in the publishing industry and you're playing in that pool. That's the thing is like the pool you're playing in isn't Karen that burns the brownies. It's Karen that plays in the big pool. But you know what? I love that you're playing in the big pool and you're just walking in faith and taking a step forward every day because that's what it takes, from my opinion, to get to where you want to go. Thank you. I really, you know, and I think it's funny because that that sort of beginning and making decisions is a lot about the Baxter prequel has a lot of that in it that these these young adults that are just trying to make their way and, and figure out which direction they're supposed to go. And some of them really not doing good with God, but they're, they're trying to make their way and, and they're being brave in their own way too. And uh, with the power of praying parents, the, the trailer for the Baxter's prequel at karenkingsbury.com, the trailer is a little different than what I've done before. It has a little bit of dialogue in it, which I usually don't have. And it, and it really gives a good example of that. I feel like of the idea that even through it all, even on the scariest days, you know, God will get you through to the next one. You, you know, we all need a hero in our story and he offers to be that. Love that. I love that. I can just imagine your office with like this little print of the Red Sea right there going like, I'm just, I know where I'm going. Just like in your books, you got to know where you're going. Um, Karen Kingsbury, thank you so much for being my guest today. I wish you the best of luck. I can't wait to see you everywhere. Thank you, Sandra. Well, you know what? Yeah. Send me, you know, office at karenkingsbury.com. Send me an email. So I have all your contact. I probably do. I want to make sure they sent you a copy of the book, right? You have oh, I've got a digital, like on my Kindle. Cool. So well, then you send me an address so I can send you. I want to sign up for sure. This is always such a moment. I look forward to talking with you, Sandra, and I hope we can do it again real soon. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, Karen Kingsbury, check out all 70 of her books. Check out her upcoming TV and movie that are coming to anywhere you stream digital uh, near you. We're going to put that out to the universe that it's just all going to Red Sea will part and everything's going to unfold exactly as it should. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.